Greetings, this is podcast number 59 of Blast the Right. I'm Jack Clark from TheRationalRadical.com, www.TheRationalRadical.com. Today we're going to present part two of the series, Critically Important but Largely Unreported Aspects of the Iraq War. What we'll discuss in this podcast is the Bremer Orders. These are laws promulgated by so-called Coalition Provisional Authority head Paul Bremer when he was running Iraq for the Bush administration. These laws, as those of you familiar with right-wingers may suspect, were not exactly designed for the benefit of the Iraqi people. Quite the contrary. I'll also report some encouraging news on the Battle of the Ballot Box over at Podcast Alley. Let's get right into it. In order to understand the truly horrific nature of the Bremer Orders, a bit of background is necessary. My sources for this podcast are Naomi Klein's featured piece in Harper's Magazine, Baghdad Year Zero, as well as articles published on or in U.S. News & World Report, TomDispatch.com, The New York Times, The L.A. Times, the Interpress Service, TomPayne.com, AsiaTimesOnline.com, and the Associated Press. There's an extreme right-wing economic doctrine called neoliberalism. There's nothing liberal about it at all. It's pure reverse Robin Hood economics. Take from everyone else and give to the rich. It's the doctrine of choice of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank two of the institutions which manage the world's economy in the interests of the U.S. and other Western industrialized nations. When third world or developing nations need financial assistance, the IMF and the World Bank require them as a precondition to adopt neoliberal policies. Some of these neoliberal policies, which are especially relevant to us here today, are shrinking the government, privatizing, in other words, transferring national assets to private control, throwing open the borders, in other words, elimination of tariffs, domestic producers will no longer be able to compete with multinationals, selling the country, putting it up for sale by removing restrictions on foreign ownership of businesses, and of course, slashing taxes. This all adds up to a right-winger's economic fantasy. You have to understand that these types of policies hurt the average citizens in countries where they are followed. For example, in Venezuela, under IMF dictates, poverty doubled or even tripled. No wonder Hugo Chavez won the next election on an anti-IMF economic platform. The former chief economist of the World Bank, Joseph Stiglitz, declared of his former employer and the IMF, Quote, their hospital is one where people get sicker. We saw in East Asia, Latin America, Russia, and Africa how they made things worse. Unequivocally. If they had fully followed the IMF advice, the patient would have been much sicker. In East Asia, the country that did not take IMF advice, Malaysia, had the shortest and shallowest downturn and the least legacy of debt. The country that was best in managing the IMF in some way, Korea, recovered the fastest. 
the countries that took the medicine, Thailand and Indonesia, had the worst performance. Close quote. Yes, this is what the Bush administration planned for Iraq. This is what the Bushians had in store for the Iraqi people, brutalized for so long by Saddam, now about to be economically brutalized right-wing style. These neoliberal economic programs are often applied in what is called shock therapy. Quote, the theory is that if painful economic adjustments are brought in rapidly and in the aftermath of a seismic social disruption like a war, a coup, or a government collapse, the population will be so stunned and so preoccupied with the daily pressures of survival that it will go into suspended animation, unable to resist. As Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet's financial minister, Admiral Lorenzo Gotuzo, declared, the dog's tail must be cut off in one chop. That, in essence, was the working thesis in Iraq, and in keeping with the belief that private companies are more suited than governments for virtually every task, the White House decided to privatize the task of privatizing Iraq's state-dominated economy. Two months before the war began, the United States Agency for International Development began drafting a work order to be handed out to a private company to oversee Iraq's, quote, transition to a sustainable market-driven economic system, close quote. The document states that the winning company will take, quote, appropriate advantage of the unique opportunity for rapid progress in this area presented by the current configuration of political circumstances. Close quote. Yes, a unique opportunity. While in most other cases, imposition of neoliberal policies is the result of negotiations between the World Bank or IMF and the country in question, with Iraq, no negotiations necessary. Paul Bremer, as de facto dictator, just declared what the law would be. Quote, Bremer unleashed his shock therapy, pushing through more wrenching changes in one sweltering summer than the International Monetary Fund has managed to enact over three decades in Latin America. Joseph Stiglitz describes Bremer's reforms as, quote, an even more radical form of shock therapy than pursued in the former Soviet world. Close quote. In a telling comment from an interview earlier this year, Bremer recalled, quote, There was a culture of dependency. Good economic policy said you had to get rid of the subsidies. Close quote. Where is Ronald Reagan to denounce Iraqi welfare queens when you need him? So what exactly did the Bremer orders and related actions do? As we listed earlier, shrink privatize, throw open, sell, and slash. Shrink the government. Bremer started firing state workers, including, quote, doctors, nurses, teachers, publishers, and printers, close quote. State-owned enterprises were kept out of the reconstruction action, if not outright shut down. Quote, this policy was so strict that even state-owned enterprises with specific expertise in Iraqi electrical, sanitation, and water purification systems 
not to speak of Iraq's massive cement industry, were forbidden from obtaining subcontracts from the multinational corporations placed in charge of rejuvenating the country's infrastructure. Close quote. Privatize. 200 state-owned companies had dominated the Iraqi non-oil-related economy. Bremer said he wanted to privatize them all immediately. Plans were drawn up to sell at least 150 of them. These included entities as diverse as mining and pharmaceutical companies to Iraq's national airline. Throw open the economy. Bremer Order Number 12 suspends, quote, all tariffs, customs, duties, import taxes, licensing fees, and similar surcharges for goods entering or leaving Iraq, close quote. Nada. Zilch. Nothing. No protection for Iraqi domestic industry at all. No sovereign nation would ever do that. Sell the country. Order 39 removed long-standing Iraqi restrictions on foreign ownership. Now, except in the natural resource sector, multinationals could own 100% of an enterprise, could take 100% of the profits they make out of the country, and they would not be taxed at all. No reinvestment in Iraq was required at all. There was no requirement that Iraqis even be hired. Another order, 40, loosened restrictions on foreign ownership of banks. Slash taxes. Order 37 cut Iraq's corporate tax rate from about 40% to 15%. Personal income taxes were also capped at 15%. Boy, would the Bushians like to impose those two by fiat on the United States. 15% maximum tax rates. Now, Bremer didn't trust the Iraqis to do any of this on their own. Quote, Orders number 57 and 77 ensure the implementation of the orders by placing U.S.-appointed auditors and inspector generals in every government ministry with five-year terms and with sweeping authority over contracts, programs, employees, and regulations. Close quote. To add insult to injury, and to make it clear who is really running the country, Order 17 gives all foreign contractors, even private security firms, 100% immunity from Iraqi law, no matter what they do. Commit murder, cause an environmental disaster. The only recourse is to bring charges in the United States. The upshot of all this is what the economically right-wing Economist magazine called a capitalist dream that fulfills, quote, the wish list of international investors. Put another way, Naomi Klein and Harper's called it, quote, a radical set of laws unprecedented in their generosity to multinational corporations, close quote. You may be wondering, can you just invade another country and then drastically change its economy? If you were wondering about that, your legal instincts, dear listener, are correct. Under international law, you can't do that. Historically, occupying powers have rewritten the laws of their conquered lands to economically pillage them. 
so the Geneva Conventions and the Hague Regulations provide that the existing laws of an occupied country must be left alone and obeyed unless an occupier is, quote, absolutely prevented, close quote, from doing so. The UN Security Council resolution authorizing the U.S. and Britain to occupy Iraq specifically stated that they must, quote, comply fully with their obligations under international law, including in particular the Geneva Conventions of 1949 and the Hague Regulations of 1907, close quote. Obviously, none of the shrink, privatize, throw open, sell and slash orders of Paul Bremer were a result of his being, quote, absolutely prevented, close quote, from obeying the current Iraqi laws in those areas. Indeed, we know from a leaked memo that the British Attorney General, Lord Goldsmith, warned Prime Minister Tony Blair that, quote, major structural economic reforms would not be authorized by international law, close quote. Okay, let's take a quick break. An instrumental interlude. If you tell all of what we've just discussed to a right-winger, he or she may respond in their usual absolute ignorance of the facts, well, the Iraqi people would like to have such an economic system in place, with the free market in charge. They're not into your progressive economics. Well, as with virtually everything a right-winger says, the exact opposite would be true. Quote, the 25 members of Iraq's governing council, as well as the 25 interim ministers, decided unanimously that they would not participate in the privatization of Iraq's state-owned companies or of its publicly-owned infrastructure, close quote. Iraq's governing council and the interim government ministers, all U.S. appointed, decided among themselves that they would not assist in the privatization process. There were public protests, some violent, against the Bremer measures. Most telling is the June 30, 2005 draft of the Iraqi Constitution, produced without much U.S. input. Oh, listen to this. Under general principles, Article 5, social justice is the basis of building the society. Article 18, the basis of the economy is social justice. It is composed of cooperating between public and private activity. Its goal is economic growth in accordance with a decreed plan and the realization of prosperity for citizens. Quote. Under taxes, quote, the basis for taxes and public expenditures is social justice. Close quote. Damn, social justice as the governing principle in tax and public expenditure policy? Warning! Warning! Do not read that previous sentence or anything even remotely approximating it to any right-winger unless you are an expert in CPR or have readily available cardiac resuscitation equipment. Quote, the Iraqis, even those who are willing to cooperate with the United States, 
wanted, at least on paper, to build a Scandinavian-type welfare system in the Arabian desert, with Iraq's vast oil wealth to be spent on upholding every Iraqi's right to education, health care, housing, and other social services. Social justice is the basis of building society, the draft declared. All of Iraq's natural resources would be owned collectively by the Iraqi people. Everyone would have the right to work, and the state would be legally bound to provide employment opportunities to everyone. The state would be the Iraqi people's collective instrument for achieving development. In other words, the Iraqis wanted a country different from that for which the Americans had come to Iraq. Close quote. Well, the U.S. could not allow this to stand. In stepped the U.S. advisors to play a more prominent role to, in effect, tell the Iraqis what would be in their constitution. And which U.S. official played the lead role in this effort? Remember last podcast about the Project for a New American Century, known as PNAC? That's the neocon group that started calling for an invasion of Iraq in 1998. One of the signers of its charter was Zalmay Khalilzad. Khalilzad was now U.S. ambassador to Iraq, and he played a leading role in revising the constitutional draft. In the next draft of the Constitution, the references to social justice were removed. What was added was a provision that says, quote, The state guarantees the reform of the Iraqi economy in accordance with modern economic principles to ensure the full investment of its resources, diversification of its sources, and the encouragement and the development of the private sector, close quote. This provision is interpreted as meaning implementation of the neoliberal economic agenda. Also added was a provision that some analysts feel paves the way for the privatization of Iraq's oil assets. Let me just give you one unbelievable example of how fanatical Bremer and his wrecking crew were. Quote, The ten-foot-high slabs of reinforced concrete were everywhere in Iraq, separating the protected, the people in upscale hotels, luxury homes, military bases, and, of course, the green zone, from the unprotected and exposed. If that wasn't injury enough, all the blast walls are imported from Kurdistan, Turkey, or even farther afield. This despite the fact that Iraq was once a major manufacturer of cement and could easily be again. There are 17 state-owned cement factories across the country, but most are idle or working at only half capacity. According to the Ministry of Industry, not one of these factories has received a single contract to help with the reconstruction, even though they could produce the walls and meet other needs for cement at a greatly reduced cost. The CPA pays up to $1,000 per imported blast wall. Local manufacturers say they can make them for $100. Minister Tofik says there is a simple reason why the Americans refuse to help get Iraq's cement factories running again. Among those making the decisions, quote, no one believes in the public sector. Close quote. No one believes in the public sector. And did the Bushians care what the Iraqis thought about all this? Of course not! Super investigative reporter Greg Pallast asked uber anti-tax Republican strategy guru Grover Norquist about this. Norquist boldly stated, quote, 
the right to trade, property rights, these things are not to be determined by some democratic election. Close quote. So what happened with the Bush administration's scheme to impose a neoliberal economic agenda on Iraq? Well, some of the privatization and other Bremer orders were put into effect. The results were not good for the Iraqi people. Elimination of tariffs, for example, produced a, quote, immediate and dramatic inflow of cheap foreign consumer products, devastating local producers and sellers who were thoroughly unprepared to meet the challenge of their mammoth global competitors, close quote. As Naomi Klein put it, quote, a depression swept through small businesses in Iraq, leaving neighborhoods without their normal complement of shops and without the income that they plowed back into communities, close quote. Workers rebelled at state enterprises. And, if you recall back in Podcast 56, where we discussed the ways the Western industrialized nations economically exploit the rest of the world's people, one of the ways is getting those countries on a debt treadmill in which they are forced to adhere to World Bank, IMF, neoliberal conditions. And that's also what's happened in Iraq since the invasion. Quote, the Paris Club of Bilateral Creditors gave Iraq a partial and conditional debt reduction in 2004 as long as it followed economic prescriptions from the IMF. The Paris Club figures say the country's total debt for 2005 was $63.2 billion or 183% of GDP. Now Iraq is back to borrowing from multilateral lenders like the IMF and the World Bank. The IMF alone lent Iraq $685 million last year. Close quote. The Iraqi public, if not the American public, was and is certainly aware of these ill effects of the U.S. plans to economically colonize their nation. Quote, the imported products and foreign workers flooding across the borders have become a source of tremendous resentment in Iraq and yet another open tap fueling the insurgency. Close quote. Even back in Bremer's time, quote, it soon became clear that if Bremer went ahead with his plans to sell off the state companies, it could worsen the violence. Close quote. Eventually, the violence, quote, forced Bremer before he left to abandon many of his central economic policies. Privatization of the state companies is off the table. Instead, several of the state companies have been offered up for lease, but only if the investor agrees not to lay off a single employee. Thousands of the state workers that Bremer fired have been rehired, and significant raises have been handed out in the public sector as a whole. Plans to do away with the food ration program have also been scrapped. It just doesn't seem like a good time to deny millions of Iraqis the only nutrition on which they can depend. Close quote. The Bremer orders are one reason why the majority of Iraqis believe we invaded to control their oil and establish military bases, and why the vast majority of Iraqis have long wanted us to set a firm timetable to leave their country. So there you have it. The U.S. planned in detail the economic rape of Iraq before the first shots were even fired. But like most right-wing plans, things have not gone as they desired. Quote, Iraq was to the neocons what Afghanistan was to the Taliban. 
the one place on earth where they could force everyone else to live by the most literal, unyielding interpretation of their sacred texts. One would think that the bloody results of this experiment would inspire a crisis of faith. In the country where they had absolute free reign, where there was no local government to blame, where economic reforms were introduced at their most shocking and most perfect, they created, instead of a model free market, a failed state no right-thinking investor would touch." Close quote. In other words, unlike King Midas, who could produce gold with his mere touch, right-wingers produce nothing but misery, pain, suffering, and death with theirs. Well, that'll about wrap it up for today. If you liked what you heard and feel it's worthy of wider circulation, please tell a friend about Blast the Right and vote for Blast the Right at podcastalley.com. There's a one-click link to do each of those on my podcast homepage. You get there by typing Blast the Right into Google. I'm the first result. I want to thank all of you who have voted this month. Blast the Right is at this point in time number 7 on the Podcast Alley Worldwide Top 10. Staying up there now will be the task. If you haven't voted yet, to vote, all you need is a valid email address. You can click on my voting link or just go to podcastalley.com and click on Blast the Right in the top 10 on the right side of the page. Click vote, give them your email address, they send an email to confirm, and that's it. And if you register, next time, all you do is click vote and a little window pops up, vote counted, takes a second or two. Writing a comment is optional, not required to vote. Let's hear a word now from another progressive podcaster. Terrorism is the calculated use of violence or threat of violence to attain goals that are political, religious, or ideological in nature. It follows that the United States is a leading terror state. As the Bush regime continues its war on democracy, log on to thewarondemocracy.com to find out what you can do to fight back. Before I forget, I want to apologize for sending out emails to some of you with all the addresses in the two instead of the BCC box. Won't happen again. Music credits. The bumper music was L.A. Nightmare by 22 Caliber. We'll close with a little bit of We Can't Make It Here by James McMurtry. Links to all the music I play on Blast the Right can be found in my music resources page. Links to all the quotations and statistics I use can be found on my data resources page. Both of them are linked to off the main podcast homepage. Last week, I forgot to thank FreePressInternational.com and YouTube for the clips I used. Your email continues to be outstanding. Please keep sending it in to rational at adelphia.net. I know I haven't been reading it much on the podcast. I'll start catching up next week. You can also call in and leave a comment to play on Blast the Right. Dial 310-933-5891 and leave your message. You can also Skype me at Jack from Blast the Right. So, until next time, I'll sign off and say I love you all, including all you right-wing misguided souls. We'll work for food, we'll die for oil, we'll kill for power, and to us the spoils. The billionaires get to pay less tax, the working poor get to fall through the cracks. 
So let em eat jelly beans, let em eat cake, let em eat shit, whatever it takes. They can join the Air Force or join the Corps if they can't make it here anymore. what we got if the president wants to admit it or not you can read it in the paper read it on the wall hear it on the wind if you're listening at all get out of that limo and look us in the eye call us on a cell phone tell us all why in dayton ohio or portland maine <laughs>